Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 18th of July 2013. For newcomers, I ask you to help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and make good use of it because there's lots of audios for free download where I go through the system and break it down for, for everyone where I go through the organizations that sprouted up about 100 years ago. I'm sure they existed beforehand, but they gave themselves official titles and came out openly in the early 20th century. And these private organizations sound very governmental, some of them, uh, like the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is actually a private organization, which spawned also the Council on Foreign Relations. And they uh, basically have been behind many of the wars up to the present time that you see across the world, because the big boys who formed it in the first place wanted to use the British Empire system and then coupled it with the U.S. Empire system to take over uh, and funded of course by the people back home uh, to take over the last countries in the world that were not part of this great so-called empire in order, order to create a world empire not for a friendly purpose but really so that the elite themselves could dominate the whole planet and run the world properly in other words uh, they bring in a, a eugenics system down the road they classify or grade people if you like into different categories and eventually of course uh, they'll even forbid you to marry they don't have to actually forbid you to do much that simply they simply just uh, have you to be promiscuous and then they uh, they give you free abortions things like that it's, it's the same effect ultimately because you don't breed at least you're, 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 you're anything any offspring are, are, are killed they're not born at all and that's where we are today with uh, with where we are and uh, of course they planned this a long time ago big players are involved in this who gave us our culture changes the big revolutions in culture and uh, and of course they planned all they wrote books about it too and they held world meetings all the time about it and it's still on the go today and even the G20 and all these characters too involved in it are all part of this big organization they're all members of it in fact so we're going through a big business business plan for the world and most folk don't quite figure it out uh, the media is they're not there to help you because it's also owned by magnets who also are members of the same organization so their job is to keep you spinning your wheels Remember, too, that uh, I don't bring on advertisers. I'm not backed by advertisers. I could be. I could really pester you all, all the way through the broadcast, just selling your products, but I don't. All I have is the books and discs that I have at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And if you'd like to keep me going, you could buy them uh, from the U.S. to Canada. Remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders or send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal, and straight donations are awfully welcome indeed as we go through inflation, because it's called quantitative easing, now it sounds better than inflation, inflation's got a bad name after the after really Germany and at the end of World War, uh, before World War II came along, when they were flattened with the Depression. So they call it quantitative easing, in other words, it's print money up, and the more they print apparently, so they claim, uh, the less it's worth. So uh, that's where we are today, and they've got this plan in place, if you read the Council on Foreign Relations on papers and, and websites and so on, they'll tell you that uh, it's going for about another 10 years. 
So your dollar will be worth maybe a quarter, one third, but it is what it was even three or four years ago. It's already worth less already. So uh, that's the big plan for the world. And, uh, and, and, and more plans too, of course. The surveilled society was all part of it too, because they talked about that back as far back as the 1930s, in fact, the same organization, that eventually science would improve to an extent where they could monitor every single individual on the planet. Well, here we are, folks. And it's done so carefully and beautifully that the public never suspect that they're living in an electronic prison camp. And it truly is. Um, in fact, they, they, they quite enjoy it, in fact. They quite enjoy it. There's techniques to that, of course, to, to sell it all to you, but people ultimately enjoy it, so they don't mind slavery too much. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And as I mentioned, for instance, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, and, and they have their own private archives of history because they have a different version of history. They have all the blank bits filled in, who, who financed this war, who, who benefited from it, who wanted it, and so on. And, and they've been behind all major wars, according to their own historian, the one who was an insider, who had access to their archives uh, for a while. And that was Professor Carl Quigley, and he talked about that, how they wanted a, back in the, the early 1900s, they wanted a war with Germany, and then uh, they wanted another war with Germany, part two, basically, and, and other wars too down the road. But they also wanted to take over all the resources of the world and for private corporations. And this is where we are today. Part of that strategy, too, is called public-private, where the public basically pay, or actually the public lose what used to be theirs, technically speaking, because gas facilities, water facilities, and, and so on, were all put up and paid by the taxpayers, so it was theirs technically. Then the government sells it off for peanuts or hands over for a dollar, in some cases, to some giant corporation, uh, and telling it's going to be cheaper and more efficiently handled, and then the prices skyrocket out the roof. And so that's really what's happening today. But it doesn't matter because that is the big agenda. All things are to be basically privatized. They might give you a basic health care, uh, where they'll give you an elastoplast or you know, a bandage or something, and, but uh, anything over that you'll pay for, basically. Because under the UN Charter, you see, it says you must be, everyone in the world must get the most, be, must have the most minimal medical treatment available to them. So that's where you're going. And uh, it ties right in with this article here, too, uh, that, uh, that, that talks about what's happened in Britain, because Britain was one of the first countries to go ahead with the privatization, outsourcing, they called it, of government departments and so on. And you see what kind of basket case Britain is in many, many ways, but this is just one of them. But it says here uh, that uh, the great outsourcing scandal is firms cut corners to cream profits off the public. Well, naturally, they do their private corporations. That's what they do. Uh, their loyalty is to the shareholders, not to the public. But it says private companies providing public services are routinely gaming the system to make money for their shareholders at the expense of the taxpayer that a major new study finds today. Analysis of the government's controversial £100 billion outsourcing programs, such as its scheme to help the unemployed backs into work, which is a complete dud, found private firms creaming off easy cases where they could make profits while parking problematic ones. 
and civil servants all suggested that big outsourcing companies were monopolizing services in certain parts of the country. They put other uh, smaller businesses out of business as the monopoly grows, you see, getting, get, getting uh, government financing. This is making it harder for the smaller companies to compete and potentially pushing up costs to the taxpayer. The government currently keeps no central record of the contracts and awards which would identify if this is happening. Why, why do people vote, folks, at all? So there's a report by the independent think tank, the Institute for Government, concluded the government still didn't have the skills to manage private sector contracts effectively. It called in ministers to slow down plans for further outsourcing, including handing over the probation services to outside providers and carry out a review of all major new contracts. Too often the focus of the government is on getting the deal out of the back door and not thinking about how it will work in the long term, so the report's author Tom Gash. There's also a reluctance to penalise companies that underperform, meaning there are no consequences for failure. And remember, too, that Carl Quigley also said the future system is to be a new feudal-type system on behalf of the CFR. He said that the, the, the CEOs will be the new feudal overlords, CEOs of private companies. And this is also why this is all happening, too. But it says a report which conducted anonymous interviews with dozens of senior civil servants found private care companies sending residents to hospital for minor conditions, developing a mentality of just ring 999 to transfer costs to the National Health Service. So the private companies are just dishing them off for, for, and let the taxpayer pay for it. Private contractors cutting corners in the government's welfare-to-work program by parking the difficult cases and creaming money for getting people into work who would almost certainly have done so without their involvement. Significant concerns that plans to outsource the probation service will not be cost-effective and private companies could be paid for work carried out by local authorities and the National Health Service. It found that even in such areas as education, which have not been outsourced, but where schools have been given much more independence to run their own affairs, gaming also exists. Some academies, which are run outside of local authority control, admitted they encouraged their students to take vocational qualifications, which would boost exam performance, even though teachers considered they were not the most viable option. Schools that turn themselves around often do it by exploiting tactics to improve exam results in the short term, which are not about the experience that every child gets in a lesson, one teacher told them. So the report comes days after the government placed all the contracts held by two of the UK's largest outsourcing firms, the G-Force and Serco. They own prison camps across the world and even schools across the world too. Under review, after an audit showed they had charged for tagging criminals who were either dead, in prison, or never tagged in the first place, way overcharging the government, and, and there's a charge read against them about that. The two firms are the major private players in both the privatization of the criminal justice system and the work program. Experts say it's difficult to see how any further large-scale outsourcing of police, probation, or prison projects can succeed without their involvement. So it's just amazing. One company really is, is going in, is basically taking over what government did. One company, folks. Private, you see. And, and furthermore, it takes away the right to complain because it's now a private company. You can't object to your politician. You'll say, well, it's a private company. They're running prisons across the world. And, and, and so on. And, and they're taking over the, the role of probation for all the probation officers. This is the, this is the progress, they call it progress, as you say. But it was planned a long, long time ago. 
But I'll put this, this article up tonight for those who, who want to read it too, and to give the, the U.S. and other, other country a chance to see what's happening, because all the countries are going along with the same agenda, you know. They're all going along with it. Also tonight, some um, to do with the license plate scanners in the U.S. It says, American Civil Liberties Union is warning that law enforcement officials are using the license plate scanners to amass massive and unregulated databases that can be used to track law-abiding citizens as they go about their daily lives. Well, they actually caught, they copied the British system again, where uh, different police forces will have massive raids on the, on the motorways, and they have contests to find out how, which, which company can, can hand out the more, most tickets. And they sit there just like pariahs, uh, watching all the cars going by, and the computers in their cars automatically read all the license plates. So they copied it in the States. So it says in the airport, says it called, you're being tracked how license plate readers are being used to record Americans' movements. The ACLU discusses the data culled from license plate scanners, cameras mounted on patrol cars, overpasses and elsewhere to record the license plate numbers and location at a given time. Tens of thousands of such cameras now in operation, according to the group with the data, in some cases being stored indefinitely. The cameras, which are often installed thanks to federal funding, are designed to catch car thieves and other criminals. The ACLU's Catherine Crump writes that the organization does not object to when they're used to identify people who are driving stolen cars or are subject to an arrest warrant, but she continues, they should not become tools for tracking where each of us has driven. Well, it's already happening. It's been happening for quite a long time. Of course, law enforcement says the scanners are valuable tools. They, they would say uh, manacles and chain would be, man- would be valuable tools. If we were all manacled, they'd know exactly where we were. The Los Angeles Police Protective League said the technology has helped in thousands of cases, including uh, to locate a suspect in a violent rape and sodomy case. In a blog post, the group called for responsible policies to monitor use, but maintained that law enforcement agencies must have the freedom to use tools that can aid their efforts to keep their communities safe. In other words, they would bring in manacles and chains, and the police would have the keys, and then they can say, well, we know where everyone is, and we can keep you safe. I mean, this is the logic that they're using here. Understand that. And naturally, they'll use everything that comes along the pipe that they can use. An ACLU report is the result of an analysis of 26,000 pages of documents from police departments around the country obtained through nearly 600 Freedom of Information requests. It finds that while some jurisdictions keep the information gleaned from the scanners for a short time, such as 48 hours, in the case of Minnesota State Patrol, many hold on to the data for years. That includes the Delaware Department of Homeland Security and the state of New Jersey, which keeps the data for five years in towns in Texas and New York, which are presumed to keep the data indefinitely. And there's no rules in place to keep officials from tracking everybody all the time. So that's the brave new world, which, were, which is here. And again, too, um, the only thing that these articles really do, apart from giving someone something to beef about if they're bored stiff, because there's nothing else to say, is, is basically that uh, it further instills in your mind that uh, that this is acceptable. This is the acceptable system now, and there's nothing you can do about it. It creates a despondency and acceptance. I can remember, too, when I talked about Besmanov, the KGB guy who came over to, he escaped through via um, India at the time he was in, attached to India. And he came over and gave good, very good talks on the communist system. Now, the communist system is the same as every other system because uh, they're all special tools and, 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 and uh, formulas which are used on the general populace. 
But you talked about when uh, you want to take down a country, first you must um, you must basically agitate inside. But you agitate. So you had in the 60s in the States and elsewhere, you had all the agitations, mainly students, because the professors who'd been brought in often from the from far eastern countries, you know, or Middle Eastern countries, uh, or I should even Russian countries and Poland and elsewhere, were given jobs right into universities and they started in, in social programs teaching so, uh, sociology and so on. And, uh, and pushing basically the same thing in, in, in America, brainwashing the students, getting them to go in riots and so on, demand things. And that was part of the cultural revolution. So it was being done in the States and in Britain and elsewhere. And the folk didn't recognize what it was actually doing at the time, but that's what it was. She says, once you've done that, you also create, you destroy the culture, promiscuity, all the rest of it and so on. That was done. And then, of course, you bring in a form of martial law. That's what the Russia used to do with the tanks. Of course, they used terrorism here. And then you normalize it. This is the period of normalization. Get used to being tracked. That's the new normal. Back with more after this. Hi, folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Remember, too, that the big boys themselves, who belonged to these big organizations, also wanted population reduction. And they had meetings and so on. And they said that they could bring third world countries down rather quickly. Uh, because the poorer, the better, they said, because uh, no one, they don't even have a press, basically, to start publishing the, the plight that they're in. And, and so on. And they could be killed off quite quickly, lots of them. Where in the West they would use disabling diseases, chronic, uh, diseases that would make them ineligible as marriage partners so they wouldn't breed. That was one way. Plus they'd profit tremendously from the big pharma treatments for the rest of their lives. Never cures, but always treatments. But, um, but also too, they put cancer viruses, of course, in various shots, like polio shots, and the, the, the CDCs eventually, they came out and admitted it recently. They put, a, put it up on their website, uh, and, uh, and uh, after a lot of folk used it, of course, they pulled it down again. But look, I've got, I've got a shot of the one that went up. I'll put it up tonight to see that where you see that they actually admit it. But from another website, it talks about the cancer simian virus 40. Of course, I've mentioned that many times over the years, and the polio vaccine fact sheet. And it says that, SV40 was discovered in 1960. Soon afterwards, a virus was found in polio vaccine. More than 98 million Americans received one or more doses of polio vaccine from 1955 to 1963 when a proportion of vaccine was contaminated with SV40. I think it was probably all contaminated by it, actually. It's been estimated that 10 to 30 million Americans could have received SV40 contaminated dose of vaccine. The virus has been found in certain types of cancer in humans, but the Medical Association has not yet naturally uh, determined that it actually causes the cancer. And it probably will we'll never tell you that, you know, because of the lawsuits. The majority of scientific evidence suggests SV40 contaminated vaccine did not cause cancer. However, some research results are conflicting and more studies are needed. In other words, uh, again, back to the lawsuits, so I think that'll go on forever. Polio vaccines being used today do not contain SV40. All of the current evidence indicates that polio vaccines have first have been free since, of SV40 since 1963. And, and actually, no, it wasn't because it's like they put it in also in the sugar ones, the lumps that they gave them instead of the shot. It says in the 1950s, the rhesus monkey kidney cells which contained SV40, if the animals infected were used in preparing the polio vaccines, 
because SV40 was not discovered until 1960. No one was aware in the 1950s that polio vaccine could be contaminated. Now, that's not true, because there's up on YouTube, there's a, a documentary to do with Dr. Sock, the guy who takes the credit for it, and his staff. Uh, it's an old one, and someone's put it onto a video from an old 8mm or 60mm. And, uh, and they actually discuss it there, that they knew about it, but they said that they thought the benefit would outweigh the risk. And I went ahead. And also, SV40 was found in the infected form of the polio vaccine, not the kind given by mouth. That's been, that's been uh, dismissed because even from the CDC's site up, up tonight, uh, they actually admit it was also in that too. And so some evidence suggests that the SV40 containing polio vaccine may increase risk of cancer. And then, then they repeat again, the majority of studies done in the U.S. and Europe, which compare persons who received them um, with those who did not, have shown no causal relationship between receipt of contaminated polio vaccine and cancer. It's just strange that you always get the virus in the middle of the cancers. That's all. So I'll put that up tonight, but I'll put up the CDC's admission for the first time they've admitted it to them in 50 years. And I've always said this under various um, security agreements and, and national security too, uh, they can they can ban things for 50 years or 100 years and so on. Britain's done that with a lot of things, and uh, and about 50 years later they can they can tell you. And tonight too, I'll put up a few things from about uh, uh, email and phone tracking programs uh, to do with the NSA and so on. Uh, there's one uh, on the programs themselves, and there's other ones on the maps and all the different hubs that they're using that, and they've hacked into all the like NSA and uh, GCHQ in Britain, who pretty well got the whole world tapped, uh, it seems to be. I'll put those ones up tonight as well. And it's from Krypton. Krypton's a pretty good site for that kind of stuff. And getting back to uh, companies being um, privatized, etc., or government agencies, etc. Here's the here's the trial balloon. Now says, why not privatize the National Health Service? It says, look at uh, look at the eye-catching policy ideas that are often talked about but never seen to feature in UK general election campaigns. It says NHS was created by the post-war Labour government in 1948. For the first time, hospitals, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, dentists, and opticians were brought together under one organisation to provide services free to the public at the point of delivery. The central principle that health services will be available to all and financed entirely from taxation has been an article of faith in British politics ever since. David Cameron's latest in a long succession of Prime Ministers to vow that the NHS is safe in his hands and would not be privatised. Well, they've already privatised certain parts of things. It says, but privatisation is a slippery concept. Some see it uh, opening uh, up of the NHS services to more private competition, Others argue the word privatization would only apply if Britain dismantled the NHS altogether and adopted a US-style private health insurance system instead. And then the NHS status as a sacred cow is blocking constructive debate about its future. And then it goes on to put the, the case for privatization uh, and comparing it to other countries and so on and so on. But it'll be partly uh, private. They'll have something left, of course, because uh, they want to keep taxing you massively. I mean, you notice that too as they privatise things off. You don't get it. Your taxes go up and up and up, not down and down. Okay? So, so everything's a scam, folks. I mean, everything out there, I'm not, your whole reality is a scam done by very clever people. have an instinct for these things. Back with more after this.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and talking about private, uh, public-private partnerships and so on, and also governments uh, closing down departments and farming out divisions of itself to private corporations that are incredibly wealthy, very powerful indeed. And I mentioned the G-Force uh, for example, and Serco, of course, who have things across, run things across the whole planet. Why well, isn't there an article here? And it says, Whitehall contracts, as the British government here, running into billions of pounds are being urgently reviewed after the government disclosed that two major firms had charged the taxpayer to monitor non-existent electri- electronic tags, some of which have been assigned to dead offenders. An announcement that throws the coalition's privatization drive into disarray, the serious fraud office was called to investigate GeForce, the world's largest security company, over contracts dating back over 10 years. As says, Circle, one of Britain's largest companies, also faces inquiry by auditors over its charges for operating tagging schemes. The firm supply an array of services to the public sector from running courts. They run the courts. Privatized courts. They run prisons and immigration removal centres to manage welfare-to-work schemes and the atomic weapons establishment. Can you believe it? Even that's privatised. Between them, the two companies receive around £1.5 billion a year from the taxpayer, but their contracts are worth billions of pounds because the vast majority run for several years. They were also hoping to cash in on moves by the Ministry of Justice to hand them further large contracts to operate prisons and supervise offenders in the community. The process of awarding all contracts was put in a hole last night as inquiries got underway. The, the, the MOG began investigating all its agreements with the two firms, including the running of major prisons, while the Cabinet Office started scrutinising all of the government contracts with GeForce and Circle. Shares in both companies fell sharply after the announcement by Chris Grayling, the Justice Secretary. Shares in GeForce, which suffered torrid publicity over its mishandling of last year's London Olympic security contract, finished the day at 12.6p, down at 213p, it says. Circo tumbled about 54p to 626.5p. Each of the companies relies heavily on Britain, both for income and burnishing its international reputation. The move by the government is unlikely to result in the wholesale loss of contracts, as the firms have few competitors of the same size, but it's a blow to their standing worldwide. Uh, the announcement came after an audit discovered G-Force and Circuit overcharged taxpayers by up to £50 million, billing them for offenders who were dead or back in custody who had, or who had left the country. According to one source, the company is charged for 18,000 offenders when the actual number was around 15,000. Mr. Greeling said latest estimates suggested taxpayers have been overcharged by the companies to the tune of tens of millions since electronic monitoring contracts were signed in 2005. He also disclosed that ministry staff could have known uh, about the practice for five years and faced possible disciplinary action. Well, the fact is, you see, it's a business. And that's why governments can't get involved with, with private corporations. But that's pointless saying that's already done, isn't it, in different fields altogether. And as I say, the only people that have responsibility to in these private corporations is the shareholders who want more and more profits. So they find new inventive ways of getting cash out of their customers. It's quite simple. That's quite simple. That's just the name of the game, and it's the age we live in, too. It was rather open. And also... 
Gay marriage clears the House of Lords, so now they can marry each other in the House of Lords, I guess, which is maybe about time. And also this one here, too, is uh, to do with um, <laughs> bribing. Uh, big, big Pharma, as always, it says, Chinese police Monday accused British drug maker GlaxoSmithKline of channeling bribes to Chinese officials and doctors through travel agencies. They every trick in the book, eh? Doing it through travel agencies to boost sales illegally and raise the price of its, price of its medicines in the country. The charges made the GS case the highest profile corporate investigation in China since four executives from mining giant Rio Tinto were jailed in March 2010 for taking bribes and stealing commercial secrets. This is Gao Feng, head of the Economics Crimes Investigation Unit, China's Ministry of Public Security, said since 2007, GlaxoSmithKline has transferred as much as 3 billion yuan, or $489 million, to more than 700 travel agencies and consultancies over six years. Four senior Chinese executives from GSK had been detained. Gao said at the news conference in the Ministry of Public Security said last week that GSK execs in China had confessed to bribery and tax violations. JSK said it was deeply concerned by developments and had stopped using the travel agencies identified by the investigation. That means it stopped using other ones that have been identified yet. It said it was reviewing all third-party agencies and all historic transactions related to the travel agencies. And so and so and so on it goes. But anyway, since GSK supplies key products such as vaccines in China, big, they do not cross the world. They get contracts for every, every government across the world. And, uh, it said here that uh, sources familiar with the situation says GlaxoSmithKline's general manager for China, who's called Mark Riley, had left the country for London 10 days ago to attend routine meetings and was now working in Britain, where he's in regular contact with this, the team in China. He skipped the country, in other words. So the problem is Britain's biggest drug maker is one of the st- a string of investigations into foreign firms and their pricing practices in the world's second biggest economy. Well, I've said before, in big business now, that this, even in small business, there's no morality anymore. It's just pure war. Pure war. And, and utter greed. But that can only happen. It's natural it happens because now we are in that stage of, of, of really degradation. Uh, we've been degraded, you understand? as peoples and cultures, and um, that was all to do with moral relativity, and um, it's all been done. And greed is, is taught, is, is good now in universities, and they, they send out these business executives all trained to be greedy and take what they want, etc., etc. It's like that article I put up before, the audio tapes in Ireland with two bankers talking to each other, getting a government grant, to, and, uh, and they said they had no intentions of paying it back and they're laughing and joking between themselves and all the rest of it. I mean, this is where it is today, folks. The taxpayer always ends up paying everything because we're just the cattle at the bottom, you see. We're, we're, just a, we're not risk takers at the bottom, but we're taxpayers, you see. Yeah. You only reward the risk takers in the system. Also, this article I want to put up too is to do with the, this con of the carbon derivatives and, and taxes and so on. And it says, um, it was from 2012, but it's very pertinent because it's the first time you actually get to see what it's really all about. It says, uh, you notice the carbon tax has been called a tax over and over again by politicians, economists, bankers, and other vested interests for a simple reason. There are many who want you to think that the scheme is to put a price on carbon and it's safe. That the government's implementation of a carbon price is careful, a careful, methodical, and prudent. 
method, a fixed price on carbon dioxide for three years, and only after three years, a transition from a fixed price to a floating price emissions trading scheme, emissions trading scheme. But there's something very important they're not telling you. There's a ticking time bomb hidden in the carbon tax. It's called derivatives. Carefully buried in 1,000 plus pages of legislation, just two tiny opaque clauses, 109A and 110, have been included that allow the banks to immediately begin creating and trading unlimited quantities of unmonitored, unregulated carbon securities, which is another term for derivatives. What are derivatives? This is pick something of value, make bets on the future value of something, add contract, and you have a derivative. Banks make massive profits on derivatives, and when the bubble bursts, chances are the taxpayer will end up with the bill. That's what happened with the banks, the mortgages, and so on. This graphic below visualizes the total coverage for derivatives, national, similar to insurance companies' total coverage for all cars. The long, then it gives you the long story of how it works too and how they can derive its value from another asset, such as the future or current value of oil, government bonds, or anything else, for example. So these all kinds of things for, for, for betting. It's all betting for the bubbles. It's a big casino system. This is most large banks try to prevent smaller investors from gaining access to derivative markets on the basis of there being too much risk. Derivative markets have blown a gigantic bubble, just like a real estate bubble or a stock market bubble that's going on right now, since there is literally no economist in the world that knows exactly how the derivative money flows or how the system works. While derivatives are traded in microseconds by computers, we really don't know what will trigger the crash or when it will happen. It can be very sudden. But considering the, the, the global financial crisis the system is in for tough times, that will be catastrophic for the world financial system. Well, it won't be for the financial system, it will be for the people. It's always on the people, folks, at the bottom. Then it's on about Australia's banks already trading in derivatives. By the way, your whole food system now is up on the derivative market as well. Whether It's no point looking. You see, you have no countries anymore where it's mandated that first and foremost, they must make sure there's enough food for the people in the country, the country where it's grown. That's out the window under free trade and global the global market. And, and therefore, too, that's also up on this big casino as the big boys bet on crops failing in certain countries and, and other things being sold off at, at massive profits drawn in ex- other countries. It's all betting. This is what it's about, folks. A big, massive casino. All rigged, of course, by the guys at the top. But I'll put this article up tonight. It's, it's quite good. It's much longer than, than what I've said already. And you can get an idea of what's going on. Also, the next generation cash machines are, machines are set to replace bank cards with facial recognition. Well, nobody will mind. They're already used to just giving all their data out and so on. They're already trained. And also in Britain, too, they're pretending to cut back on, on, on the unemployment and so on. No benefits if, for your third child if you're unemployed. The Conservatives unveiled controversial welfare plan. That's a trial balloon again, you see. Then they have all those big marketing companies Go into the Twitter and see what you're, you're all twittering about, how you react to or don't react to, etc. So they do a trial balloon to get you all chatting. So it says here that um, the move would put them in the same position as working parents who cannot afford to have large families. Unemployment, unemployed parents who then choose to have more than two children will know that welfare is not going to fund that choice. As a government's £26,000 a year benefits cap for the out-of-work took effect yesterday, Mr. Shapps insisted further radical reforms to welfare were back on the table. 
Another proposal the minister said under 25-year-olds who are unemployed should be denied housing benefits so they have to live with their parents rather than be funded by the taxpayer to move to a place of their own. Well, generally a lot of them today don't even have two parents, you know. And if there's another parent now or another partner married to the wife or the husband, uh, they might not want them in the house anyway. So it's, it's much more different than it used to be. All designed that way too. Uh, so there's two articles from that PM urge to tighten teenage mother benefit rules as well. It says Tories in the, the most marginal seats in Parliament are urging David Cameron to bring in tougher conditions on housing benefits for some teenage mothers. And it's true enough. I mean, for for since the early 70s, uh, the government kept uh, declaring that single parent families was the way they were going to go with all housing projects, and they built how knows millions of them. And they encourage women too, uh, you know, to go in there and they'd pay their benefits and all the rest of it and, and their own welfare, etc. And some of them just had child after child and uh, plus they could go to college and all the rest, all paid for free babysitting so they could go out to the bars and so on, have a good time. And of course, eventually the piper has got to be paid under the mass um, poverty of the country now paying all these taxes. But this was agenda, folks, for an awful long time. And I lived through part of it too and I saw it all happening. And that's just what they wanted. There's nothing happens that's not planned that way, you understand. There's nothing at all happens. But there's nothing that they miss either. And it's not like they say, uh, I'll be fine forever. No, it's not. They know what will happen down the road. And also from Wales, it came out, uh, this is a good article. We heard about all these, these child care homes in Wales, the massive, massive, uh, Abuse that went on there, and it had so many investigations by the police. The truth behind the child abuse cover-ups in Wales, the report that first exposed child abuse in North Wales homes has finally been published, but says Elian Fairweather, damning details have still been left out. But what they've left in now is, 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 is horrific. It's what went on for years and years. The, the cops all knew they wouldn't touch it. Politicians knew they kept away from it. Uh, and, and, and they knew it was all real. And, 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 and the place was a pedophile's, a pedophile's paradise. Since the 1970s. So I'll put this article up tonight. It's just, uh, horrific. But again, folk aren't shocked anymore because we, we've lost that bonding. It's been destroyed, as Besmanov said, as the culture went down the tube, tubes and, uh, and you don't, you don't relate to other people. If you're okay, that's it. I'm okay, Jack. That's it. Also, uh, depraved man and his partner uh, bought a Russian boy for $8,000 and began sexually abusing him on film from the age of one year old. You see, this is new liberation and so on. Mark J. Newton was given a 40, year, 40 years for child pornography and sexual exploitation of a minor. Newton and his partner bought a baby boy for $8,000 in Russia in 2005. It shows uh, sexual abuse occurred before the child was even two years old. The men were arrested in California in 2012, and Russian President Vladimir Putin today signed laws limiting the adoption of Russian children by foreign happy or, or, or same-gender same couples. And it says, um, the man accused of making child pornography with a boy he and his Australian partner purchased in Russia for a reported $8,000 sentence Friday. According to investigators, the dual Australian-American citizen Mark Jai Newton, 42, and his partner Peter Truong, 36 uh, used a falsified birth certificate listing Newton as the child's biological father to adopt the boy and take him to their home in Cairns in Queensland, Australia. 
Newton was sentenced to 40 years in an Indiana court where the videos were found downloaded on a home computer after pleading guilty to conspiracy charges involving possessing child pornography and sexual exploitation of a minor. The judge overseeing the case said she accepted the plea agreement only because the videos were too horrific to show a jury. As Australia's ABC News reports that the boy, now eight, has been living with the men in Cairns for several years. When in 2011 New Zealand authorities discovered evidence on a New Zealand man's computer that the boy had been used in child pornography. This has gone on all over the place, you know, and it's getting more prevalent as various laws change and, and certain things are lauded as, as, as okay to do. Australian police raided the couple's house in 2011 after the men and the boy had left for the United States. They discovered a mountain of material and seized computers, electronic equipment and documents that uncovered high-definition video and the images of child exploitation. During the hearing, prosecutors said the charges stem from abuse that occurred when the boy was four to six years old, but prosecutors said they discovered video this week showing Newton using the boy for a sex act when he was less than two years old. So they just buy, they buy their pets. They call them pets, by the way, uh, you know, these guys. They buy their pets. Yeah. Investigators also alleged the man and his partner took the boy to foreign countries where they allowed other men to abuse him, often recording the acts. And then they uploaded videos to an international syndicate known as the Boy Lovers Network. The Boy Lovers Network is known to police as a forum for men who describe sexual abuse of boys between the ages of 2 and 10 as a form of consensual love between baby, uh, between boy and man. So there you go. Kenzie would love these guys because he was the same, actually. He, he, he paid people to have intercourse with babies. He did. Go to my website and go into the archive section at cuttingthroughmedics.com and you'll find the, the videos there and the links to them all. They go through it all, all documented, no guesswork. Back with more after this. are back cutting through the matrix and also Detroit now is in bankruptcy they've actually uh, filed for it now and they owe apparently about 15 billion dollars at least and uh, this is the US city of Detroit Michigan has become the largest American city ever to file for bankruptcy and the state appointed emergency manager Kevin Orr asked the federal judge to place the city into bankruptcy protection so that's one going. And it says, if approved, you'd be allowed to liquidate city assets to satisfy creditors and pensions. So everything's going down the tubes. As, of course, they knew before they gave you the free trade agreement that we didn't vote for. This private club made uh, the World Trade Organization and uh, and also authorized China to be the manufacturer of the world. And all your companies now have moved offshore to make cheap products, get, maximize their profits and sell you cheaper junk back. And also this article too, as it says, some non-profits, uh, this, again, these non-profit organizations, charitable organizations, they always do this, that they're holding back the storm donations f- from New York for Hurricane Sandy. And it says here that um, within days of Superstorm Sandy making landfill October 2012, a number of charitable organizations started collecting donations from kind-hearted souls. They'd always go for the kind-hearted souls, you see, freely giving their monies to help with Sandy relief efforts or so they thought. Schneiderman announced that a huge amount of these donated funds have yet to be filtered to Sandy victims as they were so intended. 
It says it's about transparency and accountability. Attorney General Eric Schneiderman said, This is about us all understanding that the money goes where the donors intended and that relief is delivered effectively and efficiently. He says that um, 89 charities raised more than half a billion dollars. By April, only 57% of that had been paid to, to Sandy Relief, leaving at least $238 million still in the hands of those non-profits and not in the hands of the Sandy victims. Well, they're all, you know, they're all big salaries time, you know, big salary time, things like that, folks. This, this is common stuff after all these things. Uh, and, and actually, that, they actually got more than a lot of them end up getting, too. World Trade Center, when that went down, too. Billions went into that, and then Red Cross hardly put a penny back into it, so they could use it across the rest of the world, not not in the victims. Standard stuff, standard stuff. And also, if you want to cry in your beer, think again, because I, you know, I knew they were putting lots of chemicals in, in beer to make it brew faster, actually, you see, they put stuff in there. And uh, it says, I have to confess I'm not a beer drinker, but there's someone in the household that loves it, so I have to figure out the truth. Is beer really healthy? Well, the modern beer is just astonishing what's in it. I've got a list here I'll put up tonight and let you all know. And, and by the big, big brewer companies. I should tell you the only ones that pretty well don't use it, all these chemicals are the German ones. They still have their health standards and, and, uh, and their purity standards to do with beer. But everybody else is putting massive stuff in it and it just scares the heck out of you. There's antifreeze and everything getting good in this stuff, you know. And, and it's just astonishing what's been allowed over the years to, to get put into it. And I remember talking years ago to a woman who'd worked her whole life in a big, big, massive British chain of pubs and hotels. And she said she remembers the night and she was warned about it. All the managers were warned to be on the lookout for changes because the beer, this new chemicalized beer was being introduced in, in Scotland and England by because the law was changed. So it brew it much quicker. And um, adding lots of chemicals, and she said the personality changes in the customer she'd known for years was dramatic overnight that first night. She says the quiet ones became rowdy, uh, passive ones became aggressive. Everybody was fighting with each other, and this is what the new stuff does to you, folks. But what a list of stuff they're putting it! It's just incredible. See, we're, we're just the, the cattle at the bottom for high profits now. You see, maximize the profit, folks. The age of greed. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, me, your God, your God, school with you. <laughs>